Happy Holidays from the DSR Network. We are deeply appreciative of our members and the year that we've had. To celebrate the holiday season, we are offering a 50% discount on either your first month or first year of membership. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the members-only Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of December, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month or for the first year. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSRHOLIDAY at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSRHOLIDAY. Thank you very much for your support. This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. We've got the votes and screw the rest of you. And Dr. Kavita Patel. These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells. Didn't catch people's eyes. Hi, and welcome to Words Matter. I'm not Dr. Kavita Patel, who's out. I'm her sometimes stand-in, David Rothkopf who is pleased to be joined by her real full-time co-host, Norm Ornstein. How are you doing, Norm? I'm doing all right, given the circumstances, David. And I'm just grateful that you're not a physician having to practice medicine today the way Kavita Yes, and so are my would-be patients. Trust me. <laughs> um, um, but not your mother, who had to be very upset. Um, that no, that is doctor. so true. Uh, particularly since her father was a doctor. And she felt that since her father was a doctor, she was technically a doctor. So she could prescribe medications. She she knew everything. And I just didn't carry on the family tradition. Um, In any Uh, event, um, you know, you and I were talking yesterday, and a a few things crossed my mind from our conversation, uh, where I just sort of like to sort of tease it out and share it in front of everybody else. And, and they have to do with, as we look forward into 2024, what should the Democrats do with regard to the House, the Senate, and the campaign? I want to start with the House. There's a thin majority in the House, a uh, couple of votes for the Republicans. But we know that people, you know, get sick, fall off their bicycles, things happen. How should the Democrats prepare for that? Uh this is, uh, I would say this way, David, it's political malpractice if the Democrats don't prepare for the possibility, which is a real one, that for a day or a week even, the Republicans could drop below the magic number needed to have a majority. Now, that's not uh, 218. Right now, they've got 220. They're only two over the majority status. But Democrats have 213. So let's say that somehow eight Republicans uh, either ended up resigning, leaving early, uh, forced out the way George Santos was, and there are a few who are in the Santos category who ought to be expelled, or end up with an illness, or end up unable to come to Washington. Uh, Maybe, given that we have COVID back again, 
And given that um, we know that substantial numbers of Republicans are unvaccinated and will not mask under any circumstances, maybe a bunch of them come down with bad cases of COVID. What do you do then? My suggestion strongly is that Democrats have a plan prepared. And what would that plan be? One, immediately you use the Republican rule against them, which is one member calls for a motion to vacate the speakership. You remove Mike Johnson, who ought never to have been there in the first place, and replace him with Hakeem Jeffries. Then you immediately change the rules so that Democrats have, at minimum, a majority even if only for a day or a week, on the Rules Committee to set the floor procedures, have a majority on the Budget Committee and report out a reconciliation bill, remember, one that only requires a majority in the Senate, and that in that bill, you pass the budget numbers that we know have already been agreed to so you don't get a government shutdown, you finally, once and for all, take the idea of using the debt ceiling as a hostage away, and my preference, you have a tax targeting the rich that will pay for making the child tax credit permanent, something that when it was initially put in, reduced child poverty by 50%, and now it's gone back up again because it expired. Then once it's done, it's done. And even if Republicans recapture the majority, with Fox, of course, having gone to DEFCON 1 over this outrage, you have made enormous progress in helping to keep the uh, country from going into chaos and helping to provide a better safety net for people. Uh, So uh, Democrats need to be prepared for a possibility, at least. And if they aren't, again, that's political malpractice. By the way, I'll tell you one other thing that they ought to do. We just did one of our uh, podcasts. You know, every Friday we do a podcast with John Wolfstall uh, called We're All Going to Die Radio, um, which looks at technology and defense issues with a special focus on nuke issues because John was the was arms control uh, guy at the NSC for, for Obama. And uh, uh, he brought up an issue, which he actually brought up in the meeting that we had earlier this week with Jake Sullivan which is, as it stands right now, the president of the United States has the authority to launch a nuclear attack with nobody else's input. And within three to four minutes of him saying, I want to do this attack, the missiles launch. And so uh, uh, that's, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the Congress has passed, for example, the War Powers Act, which says that the president has to consult with the Congress, if he wants to launch an, a war, but if he wants to destroy the world, he doesn't need to talk to anybody. And, uh, you know, given the prospect that, you know, we might have a lunatic as president of the United States, they might want to think of, you know, getting some kind of a check in all of that. One would hope, although uh, to make matters even worse, we probably had that check in place when Trump was president with at least a sane chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Um, well, imagine- that's, what, that's what the chairman of the Joint Chiefs said. But as you know, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is not in the chain of command. He actually no. has no authority. Um, but he would probably communicate with those who uh, do or did. But imagine if it's uh, Mike Flynn 
uh, and Mike Flynn making those decisions. You're absolutely right, however. Um, we have a, a, a set of norms, rules, and laws in place, all of which start with a premise that the people in charge actually will go abide by their oaths and will be sensible, grounded, reasonable people. And we uh, can no longer abide by that premise. Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, I can think of uh, dozens of other examples where there are no provisions in the Constitution or no provisions in the law to constrain people to behave in ways that are not gigantically destructive or dangerous because nobody ever thought they would. But we have now seen that they would, and we need um, you know, structures, we need active checks um, in order to protect us, and uh, not you know, the informal kind. You know, uh, in, the, in this last example, you know, Trump did say, he did call up the Secretary of Defense at one point, um, uh, um, and possibly more than one point, uh, when it was Mattis, and said, no, I think we should launch an attack on North Korea. And it was only because Mattis was a fairly calm guy and managed to say to Trump, you know what, this is a really interesting idea, Mr. President. Let's talk about it tomorrow morning. And, you know, he sort of diffused the situation. Um, But, you know, Trump wants his next administration to be full of a bunch of of toadies who say yes no matter what, like Mike Flynn. And then you get into a very dangerous situation. Well, they would not only be toadies uh, doing whatever he asked, but they would also be filling his head with even more outrageous and destructive ideas. So it's the worst of both worlds. Yeah, absolutely right. Let me ask you one more question on that particular issue before I turn to the Senate. Um, It looks like, I mean, you know, it's just you and me talking here. Nobody's listening. Well, maybe... 10, 20,000 people are listening, but other than that, um, it looks like the Republicans are pushing and pushing and pushing to get Biden to accept a series of immigration reforms as well as border funding in order for them to provide um, a forward path by which we can get aid for Ukraine, aid for Israel, other kind of national security aid approved. and they, you know, will surely declare this a big victory. Um, but see, it strikes me that if they do that and Biden signs it, then they're taking away one of their biggest issues from the election campaign. Because Biden is going to be able to say, well, yeah, we, I did what you wanted. Um, I, I, we, we did the immigration reforms. We did the border reforms. Um, you can't, you know, I'm, I'm inoculated against your criticism on that. What do you think? Um, that could be, uh, true if the Republicans didn't lie shamelessly because they'll continue having had their victory. They'll take a quick victory lap, talk about how weak Biden is, and then go out there and bash him on the border again and again including with the sort of farcical claims that I see showing up on social media all the time, that as we seize large amounts of fentanyl at the border, which shows that it's not an open border and we're actually doing a pretty good job there, they treat that as disastrous because it shows that we're not. 
So they will uh, turn yes into no and up into down, and it'll still be a problem for him. And of course, it'll hurt him politically. But I think it could be worse than that. It could be that Biden accepts by swallowing hard a really awful pill with an immigration policy that if it were there for Trump would mean just horrific, sadistic policies with the denial of asylum to those who deserve it, with imprisoning people at the border and more, but then have a House of Representatives where the feckless speaker, Mike Johnson, refuses to bring it up uh, because he doesn't want aid to Ukraine or because his colleagues don't, and instead tries to put it back into just a provision that makes these draconian border changes and gives aid to Israel and leaves out Ukraine. So we're playing a very dangerous game here. And, you know, I think, David, before we leave this, I want to take it to another level. I'm still, I still have imprinted in my memory when during 2016, Lindsey Graham, who at the time was attacking Trump mercilessly, said about his own party, there comes a time when you have to put country over party. Now, what are we seeing here with this uh, blackmail to try and force the president, Joe Biden, to accept draconian border policies uh, in return for aid to Ukraine, in effect, holding Ukraine and freedom hostage for political demands that are now being forwarded by Mitt Romney. Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, and others who have professed their strong support for Ukraine and antipathy towards Putin and Russia. This is one of the most outrageous, reckless, and dangerous cases of putting party over country that I have seen. And it deserves to be condemned widely, and it's barely on the radar screen on our national media. No question about that. So let me turn to the, to a slightly different subject. Let's turn to the Senate. Um, uh, the Democrats have a razor thin majority in the Senate at the moment, uh, but it looks like they may lose that. It looks like the Republicans may lose the House. Democrats may win it back next year, particularly with recent findings in New York about uh, being able to redistrict properly. Um, but the the Senate could be lost. And so there are two questions. What should the current Senate, what should Chuck Schumer do with the year he's got left? And is there anything the Democrats can do to hold on to the Senate? So on the first front, you know, what we've seen this past year especially is uh, Chuck Schumer Uh, treating the Senate as if this were just a normal time, business as usual. They take their weekends, their long weekends. They take their usual recesses, long recesses. And even though you can give them credit for having confirmed a lot of judges, there are still substantial numbers of vacancies out there. And if there's one thing that Chuck Schumer and 
the Democrats in the Senate need to do. It is with the remaining judicial confirmations and with now a whole lot of executive confirmations still uh, unsettled. U.S. attorneys, key positions in many departments, including justice, defense, state, still many ambassadors uh, that are not yet filled, is to keep the Senate in as long as it takes, long hours, even weekends, and make sure that there isn't a single vacant judgeship left by the end of this term. Because if there is a Republican Senate, as you say, there will be zero judicial confirmations. All of those will be kept open for yet another four years if we see Joe Biden reelected as president to keep those slots open for a Republican president. And we know what kinds of judges they put in place. Uh, and you want to do the same to make sure that there is a full administration uh, going forward. Now, I don't see that uh, happening. And while it is theoretically possible for Democrats to retain the Senate, they would need to keep their losses to two, assuming that uh, Biden wins re-election. Uh, uh, there would be a, where you could get to a 50-50 Senate. Um, that uh, the reality is that there are twice as many Democrats up as Republicans. And among those seats that are up for Democrats, West Virginia is an almost sure defeat. Uh, with uh, Even if Joe Manchin were running, they would lose. It's become a completely red state. And the governor, Jim Justice, who has a lot of money, is an, as close to a sure thing as you get in an open seat. Um, we have real problems holding on to states like Montana, Ohio, Nevada, even though the incumbents are extraordinarily good and strong, John Tester, Sherrod Brown, Jackie Rosen, uh, you know, there are no sure things here. And if we lose one of those seats, that's bad. Um, but we're not going to find many opportunities among the 10 Republican seats that are up. Florida and Texas, which have two of the biggest losers in the Senate, uh, uh, are just uh, not easy to win, given that we have a tribal environment and they're states that have become pretty firmly red. So you've got to focus on those states. You've got to put the resources in. You have to exploit the issues, the ones that we know are the big issues. And in Texas now, I think more than ever, Texas and Florida, that includes abortion. And in Florida, if there's success, as it looks quite possible uh, that there will be, and getting a referendum on abortion on the ballot there, that may bring a different kind of electorate to the polls uh, in 2024. And maybe you could defeat Rick Scott, who should be imminently defeatable. This case in, uh, in Texas uh, now that's going to highlight the inhumanity of the way they're dealing with abortion, the Texas Supreme Court making it even worse. Maybe that will provide an opening for a very good candidate, Colin Allred, uh, to beat the you know, embarrassment in the Senate known as Ted Cruz. But we're fighting an uphill battle there. And you know, the fundamental reality is that more than likely the best we can hope for in 2025 is averting 
autocracy uh, and worse by having Trump lose to Biden. Um, the advantage of having a Democratic majority in the House, but a Senate that handles all the confirmations for uh, the cabinet, sub-cabinet appointees and other administration officials and all the judgeships, federal judgeships, in the hands of a group of Republicans who are going to be even more radical than the ones that are there now. Yep. But would it make sense for the Biden administration to replace cabinet secretaries now? It, they're still, you know, at least in theory, those confirmations uh, expire, but they don't. And in fact, um, I would say Biden needs to go to his cabinet secretaries and to the undersecretaries and deputy secretaries and say, I need to know now whether if we win re-election, you are going to pledge to stick around for the second term or at least the first two years of that term. And if you aren't, I'm going to have to replace you soon. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Now, your, I, your advice, as always, is deeply sage, but I can see, many people listening can't, but I can see you're wearing a University of Michigan alumni jacket. Do you feel that in any way your credibility is undermined by the scandal that has settled over the University of Michigan football team? Um, I am deeply saddened uh, by uh, what's happened at the University of Michigan. Uh, and it makes it a little more difficult to root for them, although rooting for them against Ohio State is never a, a difficult uh, task. I know, uh, now but, I and, rumors, and rooting for them against Alabama, which is going to be the next game, yeah. won't be that tough either, will it? I, that's, uh, that's not so difficult either. Um, I uh, have heard rumors that Jim Harbaugh, the coach, might even be coming to the Washington Commanders, which then would despite the great news of losing the worst owner in the history of sports, Dan Snyder, uh, for somebody who was a whole lot better, would probably make it a little more difficult to root for them. Although we could have then the Baltimore-Washington Parkway could become the Harbaugh to Harbaugh Parkway. That's right. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, the, his brother is the coach of the Baltimore Ravens. All right. Um, uh, well, this is the point in this podcast where uh, we typically will say, if you're uh, not a subscriber, um, uh, then uh, we gotta you gotta go because you can't listen to the whole thing because there's bonus content. I'm sorry, Dems the rules. I you know I don't make them. I just inf actually I do make them. <laughs> I, I I have to be honest about that. Uh, but it's so that we can get some support. You know, we did a survey and we said, why do people, you know, become members? And the reason they become members is they like what we're doing and they think $5 a month to help us do what we do is worth it. And I think it's worth it. It's not a lot. It's not a lot. And, and, and it does, we do amazing stuff here, not me, but everybody else out here, including, you know, give you the access to one of the really great minds in Washington like Norm. So if you're not a member, go become a member. Pardon me? Let me say that's the price of one latte at Starbucks, which is trying to suppress its union. So it's worth it. Take that away from Starbucks and give it to something that's worthwhile. Exactly. That's such an excellent point. So um, do that. Go to the DSR network, click on membership, and uh, and 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 do that. Then you can listen to the rest of this. 
Uh, but for now, if you're not a member, bye-bye. And if you are a member, stand by.